I really feel sorry for those of us who are starting out in our social media journey in building an online business with the volume of information and the amount of encouragement we receive to engage in different social platforms, which may or may not be a good fit for us. And, and I'm not immune to this, to this phenomenon of everybody telling us that we have to be in all platforms at all times. And it makes so much sense. When an expert in a different platform tells us that there is really great opportunity for us on that social platform, we immediately start to daydream about what it could do for us. And we start to imagine and see the benefits. But what we don't see is the fact that we will then be spreading ourselves so thin that we can't properly address the opportunities and perhaps the responsibilities that we have in the other social platforms. You know, I'm really lucky that uh, early in my social media marketing career, I started to speak at different conferences and I met experts on all of the different platforms and actually became friends with them. And they're wonderful people. But each and every one of them, without fail, thinks that their platform is God's gift to social marketing and they like me, so they want me to succeed and they want me to succeed on their platform. And they actually get kind of petulant <laughs> to a certain extent when I don't participate in their platforms. I recognize the value of them, but I also am have kind of reached the age that FOMO, the fear of missing out, isn't a really big, isn't a contributing factor too much for me. And I'm really happy with the platforms that I work on. And I, and I recognize that I can never master YouTube and podcasting to the level that I will saturate the opportunity on those platforms. And so if I pour my energy into those platforms that I'm already doing well on, I think long-term I'm going to be farther ahead sticking to these platforms. Having said that, we have a guest coming up a little bit later today talking about LinkedIn and LinkedIn is the one platform that I really do think that I could have benefited more by engaging more. Now we've got a fairly significant presence on LinkedIn, but I've never really embraced LinkedIn the way that I could have. And I'm pretty sure that had I chosen to embrace LinkedIn in a, in a more aggressive fashion, that our business might have taken a slightly different angle, taken a different turn. And I'm not convinced that we wouldn't be more successful having spent more time in LinkedIn because it is the social network that businesses gravitate to and business people gravitate to. And so there's a different gravitas to LinkedIn than there is on any of the other platforms. For our generations, for baby boomers and Gen X, LinkedIn is a far more comfortable an understandable platform than Twitter or Instagram or YouTube or certainly than Facebook and any of the other fringe social platforms. Coming up a little bit later in this week's episode of Grey Matters, we are going to be exploring baby boomers and Gen Xers and the opportunities that LinkedIn represents. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Gray Matters, the podcast for baby boomers and Gen X who are interested in online business. We are interested in finding our place in the digital age. In this podcast, you'll learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, and more, all from our perspective. The world's changing. Our prospects are changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore, and many of us face a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. 
We need to take our years of experience and put it to work for us, a side hustle or online business of our own. We need to develop mad skills to adapt and evolve in order to thrive in this digital age. I can help. I want to help. And this podcast will help. It wasn't that long ago that I was struggling to transition from my former career in traditional broadcasting into online business. There were lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm here to say it is a fantastic and worthwhile journey. I am glad you found us. The world of online marketing, she be moving very, very fast. So each week here on Gray Matters, we will take a look at the top stories, the things that catch our attention and will affect us in the online marketing and the content marketing world. So what caught your attention this week, Rachel? Facebook, we've had some discussions, Steve, about is Facebook really supporting small business or is it not? I mean, it's very much been a pay to play environment on Facebook when you're trying to advertise or get seen uh, as your business on a business page, even, you know, mm-hmm. and trying to kind of work around that and advertising. We've been talking about that. Um, so Facebook had this thing roll out that or they're starting called Good Ideas Deserve to be Found. And that's in a new initiative they're saying is for small businesses. Um, where they're trying to highlight different businesses. They're kind of showcasing and interviewing uh, small business owners who've used Facebook, particularly through the pandemic, to stay viable and things like that. I just found it interesting. It's like, it's kind of like to me, and again, I think we've shared, I have very little trust in Facebook as far as like, mm-hmm. why are you doing things? It's It's really for you. To me, it feels like this is the marketing part of saying we're doing awesome stuff when behind the scenes, they're kind of not doing awesome stuff. And so that's what it feels like to me. But that's something I found interesting. We'll share this article in the notes. Uh, Facebook continues to focus on small and medium business with good ideas deserve to be found initiative. Well, here, I got a suggestion for Facebook if you really want to focus on and support small and medium business. How about creating an actual customer service department for your Facebook ads division so that if somebody's ad account, which they rely on, is suspended, they have somebody who they can call and they can redress the situation or address it and fix it up. How about doing that for small and medium businesses who rely on it for income? Now you're just talking crazy, Steve. I mean, why would anyone do that? Oh, yeah. Provide some support. That would be. <laughs> you mean? Wait, wait. I'm sorry. Are you are you insinuating there are humans who might actually help other humans mm. work use a, a program? Mm-hmm. That's so weird to me. So my <laughs> top story this week is um, again talking about kind of the big three is uh, an article which we will share from TubeFilter. That's this is a great resource for all YouTubers. Uh, but this is in the public domain now. Google will stop using people's browsing activity to serve them ads. Google's starting to sound like Apple. And here, here's the quote. And it, it kind of made me say, what? Uh, it's from David Temkin, who is the who is Google's uh, director of product management ad and ad privacy and trust. That's the name. It's wow. And he said, quote, I quote, and I will do it in, in his voice. People should have to, should, people shouldn't have to accept being tracked across the web in order to get the benefits of relevant advertising. So what Google's doing and what they're saying, I, does it sound a lot like what Apple's doing with the iOS 14 uh, blocking of, uh, blocking of uh, tracking across multiple websites? It does sound like that because they care. Yes. 
<laughs> but Google has started something, which is uh, they've they've created an, an an alternate system where they but there's something called the federated learning of cohorts, or oh, flock. <laughs> flock is designed to take us and put us into a cohort, into a group, and and then if they position us in a group, then that group has certain advertising preferences. See what they don't want to do. And what Apple certainly doesn't want to do either is they don't want to get to the point that we're back to getting Russian brides ads because nobody knows Mm -hmm. who is, you know, getting relevant advertising. I think we can all agree. Relevant advertising is far better than just general shotgun advertising, Mm -hmm. but they want to do that. They want to protect privacy. So they're, 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 it's a, catch 22 situation. So this new idea get to it is they're putting us into these cohorts yeah. um, and groups of people that have similar interests. And then we're going to be served. So advertisers will pick a cohort to send information to. And so it, it might be a little bit more general. I don't think that we are going to as social media marketers, I don't think that we're going to lose our ability long-term to be able to deliver relevant ads to a relevant community. It's just how we do it will change. They're all trying to look like they care mm-hmm. when what they really, they really don't, oh, it's my opinion. They really don't care about our privacy. They care about a continuation of their business and being able to charge. But, but I believe both Facebook and Google, who are the ones being most impacted by these advertising changes, I believe that their desire is to continue to deliver relevant ads. And for mm-hmm. whatever the motivation, it is something that we, I think we as a small business community, as an online business community, we want to be able to continue to deliver online, uh, relevant online ads as well. And I believe the general population wants to continue to receive online ads if indeed we are going to be forced to receive ads. But there's no other model that is going to support what happens online. Yeah. So. Exactly. So that's, uh, so that's, so that's my top story. It's good. It's a good read. It'll be in the links. Yes. Um, so I have my second top story really pivots nicely from what you just shared. Um, Cause we're talking about, you know, all this advertising and stuff. It's all about protecting these people's protecting. Let me try that in. All this advertising stuff is about protecting people's privacy. And so those of you listening, um, maybe you've heard of GDPR, which is in effect in Europe, which really has hammered down on what private data information advertisers can gather um, from users without their permission. Um, California has set up a similar, I think it's called the CCPA. Um, California Cal- Consumer Privacy Act. That's right. So the article I, I dug into this last week was the states that are following suit. So for any listeners who are in the states of, or do, trying to do business online in the states of Nevada, Vermont, Maine, Virginia, New York, Washington, Utah, and Oklahoma, um, you're going to find this article interesting that we'll have in the show links, but it's basically sh- sharing what laws have either already been passed or are in the works to institute similar levels of data protection um, for consumers in those states. For online marketers who are following GDPR uh, uh, recommendations, which most of us are now, is there is there any concern? Are the are we going to have to change how we do business? If or any concerns? Or if you are following GDPR, are you going to be okay? If you've already and props to anyone who is forward thinking enough to say, let me let me get ahead of that. That's exactly what you should have been doing, and, and what people should do now if they haven't yet. Because I think if you're already making those steps to say double sure that you are getting that permission, you're letting the end user decide, mm-hmm. uh, you're great. You're, you're going to be sitting pretty and, and be well positioned, even if the laws in that state that you're trying to do business in 
you know, might, maybe they go stricter. I doubt it. Uh, but I think you'll be well positioned. If you are late to this game, now is the time to start because this is just going to keep going. And for the most part, for most of us, GDPR or the Canadian can spam laws, which we have here in Canada, and these laws that we're looking at now being enacted at a state level in the USA, they aren't arduous on right. the on the content creators, uh, on the content marketers side. We, you know, if you have a proper double opt-in on your lists, if you give people clear ability to opt out on a mail list, you know, so if you aren't sending out spam, if you if you aren't taking your customers' email addresses and sharing them with somebody else, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not a really hard a hard bar to to meet yeah. for for most of us. Most people will have issues with the double opt-in. That's probably still probably the place that most people slip the most. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking, Steve, and this, <laughs> this, you know, I know some of the things that you, you know, teach in, in your um, materials and stuff and your webinars and everything too. Some of that's list building, right? Which is mm-hmm. really important. You get somebody's email, that's, that's currency, that's gold. But, you know, you t- start talking about, hey, you know how on LinkedIn, you, you can download the emails of all your contacts. And then what, you know, do you go just then add them into an email list and start sending them stuff? Um, and that's and, where it and gets when we look iffy. at when we look at uh, other social platforms wanting to have access to your contact list going in, that's the thing that concerns me is we right. looked at the growth of uh, what's happening with Clubhouse. And when you sign into Clubhouse, they ask and they tr- they ask access to your contact list so that they can recommend people, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's where you're going to that's where we're going to start to see perhaps and we should see, I think, some legislation come in place. That Agreed. protects those that privacy and doesn't allow it because a lot of people and it's not it's mainly because of ignorance on our part and I don't mean that as a, you're ignorant but right. the fact that most people don't recognize how that data can be used when they give permission and if they give if you give permission to access data on your computer you're really at that point there um, in infringing on your contacts yes. privacy right it's not just your privacy. It's your contacts, privacy. As a rule, whenever I am installing some new app, and of course, they pretty much two to each one are asking, hey, do you mind if we have access to your contacts? I always say no, because I'm just like, I don't need you to know that stuff. But to me, that's almost like giving away my next door neighbor's address to somebody, mm-hmm. you know, who they it don't is. know. And, you know, it's, it's like, why would I don't want to do that? So all these things, it's it's good to have these things in mind with data being so freaking important these days. The link will be in the uh, description as well. And our final story of the week is, is it's something that I'm more going to share. And this is more for the, uh, more for the baby boomers in the crowd, but the, uh, the, there's a nice infographic from uh, social media today, which is this top social media trends and their top trend for 2021 is the is the uh, is the migration of the 55 plus crowd to the online space that's what that's what ranked as their number one trend for nice. social media in 2021 so that just warms my heart <laughs> uh as 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 that's their top trend so we will save this but there's they also have things like tiktok's rise which doesn't warm my heart in any way shape or form and they t- also talk about video still growing which again that does warm my heart the future of virtual reality and augmented reality. So those are kind of three three highlights. They have their six trends, but we will share this link if you, if you drop by dototech.com and you check out the podcast notes from this particular podcast, you will have uh, access to all of these links. Did you know that we host a free live training almost every week? This is a fact. 
Most weeks, we host a free tutorial webinar covering productivity, content creation, or online marketing. It is called Webinar Wednesday, and you can find out this week's webinar by visiting dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday. It is the best way for you to up your skills to the next level for free. Join us. Links are in the description or just visit dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday. Of all of the social networks that we have access to, for baby boomers and Gen X, those of us approaching the end of one stage of our careers, there is probably no better social platform to engage in than LinkedIn. It is the business platform of choice where you, where the conversation is far more about the profession that you're engaged in and far less about political and other social issues or what you had to eat today. Joyce Fusel has been teaching baby boomers and Gen X how to build a LinkedIn profile, how to engage in LinkedIn, and how to remain relevant through LinkedIn through their early retirement years, well on into retirement, if they choose to retire or if they are re-engaging in the workplace, how they can use LinkedIn to help with that. We go to LinkedIn to stay connected to people. We go to LinkedIn to share helpful information about our field. You know, so that's how I think of LinkedIn, like an educational uh, opportunity. So are you ever just shocked that people aren't on LinkedIn? Like you meet somebody who's recently retired or, or needs to use LinkedIn and they haven't yet used it? Yeah, I am kind of. I'm, I'm surprised. Um, I have to put this in perspective. I use my own family. My younger daughter, who is 36 years old, has worked in the nonprofit field her whole life since she graduated college in 06. She is not on LinkedIn. She sees no reason for it. My older daughter, who has a writing and editing and database management business, does have a LinkedIn profile. But I do know she doesn't hang out there very much. She's more of a Facebook person. I think it depends on the sector, Steve, that people come from. So if they've been government, if they've been academic, if they've been a public school teacher, they worked in nonprofits, they may really not have had occasion to get onto LinkedIn. Most small businesses, corporate businesses, in between people in that for-profit sector, broadly speaking, they are typically on LinkedIn. So the clients that are coming to you, are they looking to re-engage? Are they looking like, are they, are they a little bit lost when they come to you? Are they a bit forlorn or are they <laughs> looking and hoping for an answer? Like a little lost lamb, you know? Um, I think they are a bunch, several different things. I think they feel a bit inept. I think they feel like, I don't know what to do with this platform. I, even if they're on Facebook, Trust me, there's, they, they should be able to figure out LinkedIn. But for some reason, LinkedIn isn't intuitive to them. So they're fumbling a bit in terms of how to post, where to post, um, also deciding who to connect with, um, even some of the settings. You know, Maybe they don't say it, but they're kind of overwhelmed by LinkedIn. And part of that could be LinkedIn sends you a gazillion emails if you don't go down and ratchet it down in the settings. They'll send you too many notifications on things you don't care about. But also, uh, I'll say this may be more true for women than men, but I think, and, and I'm not sure if it's age-driven completely, but people don't like to brag about themselves. They That's don't like to say, I'm all that. What's that? That's generational. That is generational. Thank you for helping me see that because 
I do serve more women than men, but I do think it's generational. And so therefore I have to say to them, listen, if you're not going to talk yourself up, who is? Mm -hmm. All right. First, let's get over that. Then, because I majored in English and I'm a pretty darn good writer and editor, I can help them to craft their about section. So it sounds more like I want to go out and have a glass of wine with that woman. She is really interesting as opposed to, oh, she's all that braggy girl kind Do, of thing. Yeah, I've always wondered about the about. Now, I'm not the biggest user of LinkedIn, which is ironic since one of my close friends actually is a neighbor of yours. I don't know what it is about Colorado. But uh, but Vivica von Rosen also lives in Colorado. Oh, she, Vivica! Oh, yeah. she's LinkedIn. Whoa, yeah, she's, she's a good friend famous. of mine, and she's always busting my chops to do more on LinkedIn. And I'm always going, I don't need, I don't like doing too much on LinkedIn. But when I did my profile, I almost felt it was more therapy for me to understand what value I bring to the table rather than actual marketing for somebody else to read to learn about me. That's actually well put because, you know, I have my own LinkedIn coach. It's not Libivica who I admire, but it's somebody else I'm working with out of Milwaukee. You know what she said to me, Joyce? Just kind of what you said. She said, write your about section so people find you relatable. Mm -hmm. You know what she says? You have other parts of your profile, like the experience section and your headline and many other parts where you can kind of talk about your services. But in the about, tell your story. Actually, Joyce, that is a great idea. Why don't you share with us the beginning of how you got into coaching people on LinkedIn? My last sales job 11 years ago this month that my manager noticed that I was doing a pretty darn good job of explaining social media to our financial planners who were our students at this essentially professional development type of niched educational, virtual educational institution. So I was chatting up to financial planners all over the USA, like our Facebook page, you know, join the LinkedIn group, follow us on Twitter. And they even kept track, Steve, for several months. And every month I'd lead that little pack, never led a sales pack in my life. So at any rate, what happened was my manager said to me, I've been thinking, Joyce, since you're so darn good at getting our students engaged with our college's social media. Now, have you ever thought of helping the baby boomers? your other baby boomers to understand social media like you do. You see, that was the moment of truth. That was the biggest question ever asked me, except for maybe when my husband proposed or something. You know, but the point is that he saw that in me, he'd known me for several years. He could hear how excited I'd be talking about the social media as opposed to what I was supposed to be talking about. And so I, yeah, he planted a seed like you talked about earlier. It planted a seed in me. And three years later, I retired out of that job right into my business then. So it was eight years ago this month. So take me on a journey of a a person just starting out on LinkedIn, somebody our age, a baby boomer, either they've been forced into retirement or they have chosen retirement, but they're looking to re-engage. They're looking to start a side hustle, maybe get a few consulting contracts, something along that line. How do they do that? First off, you got to think, who are your connections? And if you think about who the people you are who are, say, influencers or well-known, the Vivica Von Rosen, the people who have uh, a reputation in the field, and you find their posts, you just look them up, you go to activity, you click on post, and you'll see everything they post and everything they've shared from somebody else's post. And you start watching, you start observing, you kind of curate in a way. You think, okay, I like this one, maybe not that one. This one, I think my people might really like. So you start commenting on their post directly and you can share to your own 
people sort of directly, like on Facebook. I like this because let, let, let's let's dive into this for just a moment. Yeah. Because when I think about LinkedIn, I think about incremental. But what you're saying is if you're just starting out, if you're just entering LinkedIn, it's not about incremental. It's about reestablishing your existing network inside of the social platform. Bingo. Ah, uh, I had right. never thought of that model. So you look for people, you know, it should be a far more comfortable journey than mm-hmm. they're not, they're not introducing themselves to people who don't know them. They, there isn't that mm-hmm. awkwardness of mm-hmm. prospecting. It's yeah. re-engagement. Exactly. And, and so when you start hanging out with these people, they notice and they appreciate it. It's really win, win, win. You look sharp and you didn't even have to like do any mental heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. And then your people learn these things. They learn it whether you share it or whether you comment. Either way, a certain percentage of your followers, your like people who, who are, excuse me, your connections will see your activity. And then the other way to make it even grow further is when those people in your circle or their circle start commenting. Mm-hmm. Comments are gold. So when comments happen on a post, whether your own or one you are commenting on, it elevates the posts uh, in kind of the algorithms of, of LinkedIn, much like Facebook does, that story bumping concept. So then it just starts growing and growing. Also, also when you put up a post or even just share that post from someone else, you want to use the little at sign. So at Steve Dotto, fabulous episode, loved it so much. Got to check this out. Gosh, he's good. I mean, I learned so much. So you're, when you do that and bring the person or the company name, if they have a company page, into your post, it gives that sort of additional energy, if you will, and additional eyeballs, because then their people are notified because I have mentioned you. The other thing I'm reading between the lines is first rule for new baby boomers, new baby boomers, that's a funny term, mm-hmm. isn't it? In LinkedIn, for new boomers in LinkedIn is reestablish your network. Second yes. rule, according to Joyce is deliver value. Don't go looking for don't go looking for handouts or jobs or work. Start your journey by sharing. It kind of establishing your reputation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then another thing I do is really keep your eye on those notifications because when you pay attention to the notification, the little bell icon up there in the menu bar, you know when that person you network is celebrating a 10 years at their company or they got a new job. And it's so exciting to see that. And here's a cool little trick. If you click on the words of the notification, your com- it's, it's like having a comment on a post of theirs. So all their other admirers could see your comment. It kind of throws you into that river of admirers. And then you could privately write to them too, of course. Mm-hmm. But the point of doing that, it keeps you top of mind in front of that established network. Exactly. Now, I still think it's good to expand your network. Mm-hmm. An important thing to do, whether it's at your church or other faith community, connect on LinkedIn with these people if you're not already, because it's a great way to stay in touch with that former coworker with that person from your Toastmasters club that's moved to British Columbia or whatever. So the point is then you keep that relationship up and it's a different kind of experience with them than being a Facebook friend, which is more on the, as we said a minute ago, the personal social side. And the degrees of separation, when you start looking, when you are starting to get into actual business mode is the people who are your first level contacts or first level contacts with other people that can sometimes create a conduit for an introduction. 
That's oh, exactly. Yeah. Here's here's the approach I like to use, Steve. When I see somebody who I'm interested in getting to know, and they're a second level, meaning to your point, there's someone of my first level people, my LinkedIn connections, who is connected to that individual. So what I like to do is ask the shared connection to do the email introduction, realizing there's a number of people, including myself, that are on LinkedIn with all kinds of people they don't really know because they are much more open networkers than other people are. I mean, we can get into a whole conversation how you decide who to connect with, but eventually you'll find someone who really knows, knows that person and who's willing to do you that kindness of the email introduction. Me, I'm not one to cold call sort of that second level person. Some would, Mm -hmm. some would. Some people have whole people and automated systems that do that, but I would rather not reach out to someone I don't know. No, if I've met them just once, in a Zoom meeting of a networking group, I will be, take the liberty of inviting them to connect on LinkedIn because I can say, we met at XYZ group. Maybe didn't talk to them, but I saw them in the meeting. Hey, how about we connect on LinkedIn? Mm-hmm. Most people will say yes. Sure. So people, a lot of the new people to LinkedIn don't have maybe 200, 300 connections. So I'd like to see them get it up toward 500, which sounds like a lot, but it is a good benchmark to shoot for. When you start on LinkedIn and when you're, if you've done, if you followed your model so far, you've got a decent profile, you've Mm -hmm. reconnected with your network, you're starting to engage. You are then going to start to get in your inbox, all sorts of people reaching out to you and saying, and selling you stuff and wanting to be your friend. And when I look at these, I have to admit, I look at them and go, they don't really want to meet me. They just want a contact. I am a number to them and I and I represent hopefully a dollar sign somewhere down the line. So that creates a little bit of a jaded view of the entire networking, uh, building a networking. And so how do you how do you coach people around? Like how would you say, Steve, I want you to feel better about LinkedIn and here's why? Yeah. Well, that's sort of the more connections you have, the more you're going to get all these, you know, people that want to mine your connections mm-hmm. exactly they they don't really care about you personally and i don't care what they say in their introductions i say they probably say that to all the girls you know yeah. type of thing and you could tell i mean you could tell when somebody yeah. knows you or has a real yeah. connection they've paid attention versus somebody who just sees oh steve's got x thousand connections i'm good he, he must be an influencer of yeah some they, they have a like a standard little thing they say yeah so here's what I would say is it's kind of goes with the territory. So there's many good things about LinkedIn. So you take some time, maybe it's just once a week, whatever, twice a week, and you go through all these pending invites and with your criteria. And as you see somebody just by their note or often even their headline will be a big giveaway. I get coaches to six figure incomes. Ugh. Okay. Ignore, 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 ignore. They're not notified. No. However, there's another way of thinking about that. And that if I see someone who is like blatantly unappealing to me, I'll actually go right to their profile and will block them because mm. I don't want ever, ever, ever to hear from them again. That's only bit me in the butt once. Okay. Recently. Oh yeah. It was awkward because this woman had introduced me and this lady <laughs> and we were talking. I think funny thing. I can't find you on LinkedIn. You're here. She says, yes, I am. And maybe she's the one that said, well, you might've blocked me. And I go, Oh, you did. Maybe I did. And there I have to look up my list of my 259 black people or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, there you are. So and so. 2021 problems. God. But the other thing I'll do, Steve, if someone looks kind of sort of interesting, I don't know them. They haven't said anything annoying. Often it's just they haven't said anything, right? They just send me the classic, please connect with me. 
I will look at their profile briefly and then I'll write them a little note by, by in the pending invites, maybe you've seen it where it says manage or select one of five or something. You go to this interior screen and you write a little, click on message and you can say, oh, thank you for the invite, Steve. What prompted you to reach out to me? Mm-hmm. What, promised, what prompted you to reach out to me, to me, is not as threatening as why did you reach out to me? It's just my Wisconsin kind of direct but nice approach. And you see what happens. Okay, do they write you back? Do they not? What do they say? So that's another way of vetting somebody. Let's talk a little bit about uh, about establishing yourself as far as a, a thought leader to a certain extent or an industry uh, like putting your profile out there so that people start to recognize that you have some serious chops. You talked about commenting on other people's posts and along with that, people will start to typically share interesting things that other people have written in a post, which mm-hmm. tell kind of indicates your level of interest in a certain topic. How many of your clients do you encourage to actually start creating content unique Oh, I, I suggest they all do that. I mean, it doesn't have to be big. It could just be two or three paragraphs in a post, in a little tip, add a good visual, a picture of some other image. And if I say to people, even if you just post once a week on LinkedIn, this is more than most people do. So you have a drip, drip, drip. So you have some degree of consistency and you do share something original. Yes. And then let's say they, one more thing, if they blog, Steve, and many people blog, then what you can do is have a link from LinkedIn to your blog post or take a blog post and repurpose it and have it as an article on LinkedIn, which is longer than a post. Do I just do my articles maybe twice a month and I post every week, little post, and then I have a, my blog post link um, also once a week. So I've actually been posting since the beginning of the year, every day, Monday through Friday, at least a comment or a post. And it's making a difference. Oh yeah, it is. It does. So when we talk about the content that you create then, my thoughts are that it's, uh, that there should be a happy medium between providing valuable content that, uh, that, that people are going to readily accept and being slightly controversial or at least having a strong opinion that you're willing to stand behind. I'm not talking about being belligerent or purposefully inflammatory, but I often like, for example, on YouTube, I'll often take a contrary position to the public. Oh, certainly on my podcast. A lot of times I'll take a contrary position Mm -hmm. to the popular one because it's how I truly feel about it. And I, but I stand on my, you know what, like for example, right now, I'm not such a big fan of clubhouse while everybody else is huge on clubhouse. So that's Mm -hmm. kind of topic du jour. I share my opinion. Sometimes I'm wrong. Sometimes I'm right, but I'd rather be known for a well thought out opinion than just to make everybody happy. How do you kind of, how do you navigate that, those waters? That's such a great concept to talk about. I think it depends on who your target market is. So for example, if you are strong, I'll just say feminist, broadly speaking, and you're about, again, getting women on corporate boards and women into leadership roles. And I mean, that's not exactly controversial, but it's- But it'll ruffle a few feathers. It can, it can, exactly. Yet, if you figure that's who I am to my core, then be that person on LinkedIn because you will attract the people you want to serve and the people you're pissing off, you don't really necessarily want to serve them anyway. 
Yeah, I tend to think that if, if you if you are coming from an industry where you've got many years of experience and you have an opinion on that, it's perfectly acceptable to share that opinion, even if it's contrary to the prevailing opinion or others. Um, but but you, you'll have to be, be have a little bit of a thick skin and not engage. Choose not if you don't engage in a to and fro, but instead you just state your position. As you said, mm-hmm. you know people who don't like your position. If you were gonna, if they ultimately did become your customer. It would be a strained relationship anyways when you realize you have a different value system. Mm-hmm. So, you, yeah. and there are, one thing I believe is that there's more than enough business. There's more than enough connections out there and you will never exhaust the supply. So it's just as good. My old business partner used to say, the second best answer is no. Because <laughs> now I don't waste any more energy. I like on that. It. Yeah. I love it. I just love it. I was in sales for 17 years. So when yeah. people would say no, I'd be happy. Joyce Festel from BoomerSocialMediaTutor.com. She specializes in helping baby boomers and Gen X build social media profiles, get online, and be less intimidated by the social media space. And sounds to me like she does just a bang-up job of that. Links will be in the show notes. Building a business is hard. Figuring out all of the new opportunities and where we fit, that's even harder. Let me invite you to join us in a place where you can meet other baby boomers and Gen X who are all interested in learning more about building and growing online businesses. It's called The Gray Zone and it's completely free. We have built an online community on Facebook that is just for us, where you can meet other entrepreneurs, ask questions, share, and learn. I would not be where I am today without a network of friends and colleagues who supported me to bounce ideas off of, share breakthroughs and mishaps, success and failures. It takes a village. That's why we built the Gray Zone, the place for baby boomers and Gen X to meet, share ideas, encourage each other, a place where we all speak the same language. So what are you waiting for? The links are in the notes or search on Facebook for the Gray Zone. Now you're you're quite the LinkedIn aficionado, are you not? I am. I'm a believer. And uh, Steve, I would tell you, in the last ten years, three of my four jobs I've had in the last ten years have resulted directly from LinkedIn. <laughs> you, are you sure you're Gen X? <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> that I, sounded kind of millennial to me. I know, but I I I can't say. An, look. Network is huge, right? Do yeah. we all, can we all agree that it really comes down to who you know? I mean, mm-hmm. it does. That's why LinkedIn matters. That's why LinkedIn is, I will never quit on LinkedIn unless it just, I mean, it would have to go completely sideways in a huge way. Mm-hmm. But, well, yeah. and, and I don't know why I had that kind of epiphany in the middle of our conversation, but you know, I, I hadn't thought about baby boomers, uh, you know, using it to reestablish their network as they moved out of an industry as a way of, of kind of keeping their foot in, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, I just kind of assume that it's all about prospecting and growth and those sorts of right. things. But the real value for so many baby boomers that are that are migrating out of the workforce is keeping them in touch with their community, keeping them relevant in their community. And they can indeed, uh, you know, continue to contribute. And if they do want to get back into the workforce, start a side hustle, go in, go into the, go into business, then it's, it's, it's a very natural place for them yeah. to find, to, to find those opportunities. Yes. I, I would say to everyone listening, 
the second you make a new connection with someone and it doesn't have to be on LinkedIn, the second it, it, to me, it's the natural next step after getting someone's business card, after you exchange business cards, which I know we're not doing right this second, but we will, we'll get back to that again, where you go to networking events and you swap business cards. The first thing I do when I get home from any kind of event like that, I go find those people on LinkedIn. And I, just like Joyce said, I go and find them and I say, Hey, we met at, mm. you know, if you gave me your business card, that is an open door for me to create that connection. And I also do that anytime I am, I just started a new full-time job a few months ago and I went and found all my colleagues on LinkedIn and connected. You mm-hmm. do that right out the gate because now I've got them in my network, no matter what happens in the future. It's, it's, you're exactly right that it's about reconnecting with that network and, you know, being on their radar and making sure that they're on your radar. Yeah. And they are constantly growing and adding more and more features. You know, I always feel a little bit guilty because LinkedIn, and I did mention it, but it's not my network of choice. It's never the one, the one that I've been strongest in. I, I, I don't know why I actually can't, I, I can't give a good articulate reason. It's like, I've never really gotten onto the Instagram bandwagon mm-hmm. full, full speed. That one's easier to understand. LinkedIn is difficult for me to understand why I have not engaged more. But having said that, I do recognize the value. The business aspects of all boomers, all Gen X, um, whether you're currently employed or in starting to think about what the what your exit strategy is, if you're middle in the middle of actually exiting, or if you've been out of the work uh, out of the workforce for a period of time, I do think that it is worth investing your energy and time in LinkedIn. And you know, if you are jaded by the conversations and the rancor that's been going on on Facebook and you just go, all social networks are not worth my time because they are toxic environments. I believe that you will be pleasantly surprised with how little of that goes on in LinkedIn. And that makes it, that makes a huge difference. You're spot on with that. Uh, I actually, and I have a really good reason why in Fridays, especially this last couple of months, I only hang out on LinkedIn. Guess what? I, I wasn't getting any WandaVision spoilers on there. Um, <laughs> but but you're right. It's especially if you are just trying to get out. I want to know what's going on in the industry or vertical that I target, you know, mm-hmm. or um, or just see what people are talking about in business. LinkedIn actually has a really cool um, thing on the right. Like if you go to LinkedIn right now on the homepage, so you see your feed and on the on the top right, it's going to have LinkedIn news. And so it's kind of all those trending articles and topics. Um, I love checking that stuff because it's like, ooh, people are talking about this, you know, and it just helps me stay up to date. And also, whenever they put that stuff up there, they will curate people's posts on LinkedIn. And if you go start engaging, just like Joyce was recommending, go start commenting. That's a fabulous way to get seen. Um, and you don't you don't even have to generate your own post. You're just saying, oh, I agree with this or I disagree. And then people start connecting with you. So I, I do find it has a really good user interface and experience, as Joyce put it, once you get used to it, it, it does, it's a different network. It's, mm-hmm. it's for professionals. It's not Facebook for sure. But it's also a network that you can lurk in and learn the, learn the lay of the land before you start putting yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much, Rachel. And for links to all of this top stories that we talked about today, as well as anything else that came up in this week's episode, you can point your browser to dototech.com slash 58 gray. That's dototech.com slash 58 gray, or just drop by dototech.com and you will be able to find the podcast right there on the homepage. Till next week, have fun storming a castle. 
You think it'll work? It would take a 